Hey, good morning, church. How are we doing today? My name's Charlie McMath. I'm one of our elders here, and, and uh, welcome to our people online, to, our, to our those listening from Edgewood. Welcome as well. Hey, I coached for 30 years, and there was a story I want to tell you. This guy I used to coach with, he, he was one of our favorites because he drove by this bakery on the way to the field house, and he often would bring these goodies, these sweets. And so we always, we liked coaching with him. And he'd do this probably every other week, maybe even every week. And then all of a sudden, he decided that he wanted to shed a few pounds. And he decided so much that that, de- that bakery was uh, a distraction to him, he was going to even take another route to work. So it was months and months had gone by, and we didn't get to enjoy those treats that he would often bring. And then several months later, maybe even you know, half a year later, all of a sudden, he shows up with this big old coffee cake. And he even had a bigger grin on his face. And some people kind of scolded him, reprimanded him. Some were obviously glad he brought that. But he was asked at that time, what, what happened? He goes, well, it wasn't an accident. I, I see him explaining it now. It wasn't an accident. I, I kind of drove by the bakery, and I, well, I just prayed to God, God, if you really wanted me to go in there and get some of those goodies, give me a, a spot on the front row. And then he just said, and, you know, and after eight trips around, there was a spot in the first row. So, so sometimes we can manipulate our prayers and we can do it wrong. But the last two weeks, two weeks ago, last week, and again today, our church leadership has really had this prayer for you. And it started with me and this guy right here, Tommy Pointer. Last spring, we were uh, going through a Bible study together, and we just happened to go through Colossians. And this, these verses jumped off the page at me that I could just pray these for myself. I could pray these over my family. We could pray these over, the, over our church. And that's really what we've done. We've we have this heart to, to, for our church to understand and be in God's will. In, in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9, verses 10, Brandon shared those two weeks ago. And then last week, verses 11 and 12, Brandon shared here, and Cody King at the Edgewood campus shared those two verses with you. And today we're going to dive into verses 13 and 14 in this first chapter of Colossians. But I want to give you a little disclaimer, okay? Because there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with praying, let's say, for a friend's job. There's nothing wrong with praying for Aunt Bertha and her hip surgery. But we need to know that Paul rarely prayed for such things. Matter of fact, when Paul spent his time in front of the throne room of God, he, he really focused on really important matters. And also want you to know that my mind also can easily wonder. When I'm praying, I could be praying for a certain thing, and next thing you know, I'm thinking about something else because I'm so easily distracted. My heart is, is wayward, maybe like yours. So the words that I share with you today are just as much for myself as they are for you. So let's... Let's look at this, these verses. Let's read through them real quick. Colossians 1, starting in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. With joy we give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from this domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So I'm going to recap two weeks ago and last week. So verses 9, 10, 11, and 12 of the first chapter of Colossians. But first let's give you a little background. Okay? A little background. When Colossae was formed, it's just a church it's a town that kind of had east-west trading there. And there was probably a convert or something that moved in there or got converted and then church formed in this town called Colossae. And, and not long after the church formed, they began getting some false teaching. They were getting a little wayward. 
So I'm sure someone sent word to Paul who was under house, to, house arrest in the capital city of the empire in Rome. And Paul wrote this letter. And this letter starts off because we're going to talk about verse 9 through, through uh, 14. But the first verse, the traditional greeting was, it said Paul. He's, he's writing, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ by the will of God with Timothy to the saints and brethren. So that's how he identifies himself. If you look at the, the book of Philippians, Paul also wrote that book, but he, Paul planted that church. And when he wrote the book of Philippians that we have in our Bible, it starts off in verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of the Lord God, to the brethren in, in Philippi. So he just identifies, identifies himself as a servant in Philippians. Over here in Colossians, because they're wayward, because he's gotten word that they're wayward, they're off track, he comes with authority and says, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle. I've seen the anointed, the risen Christ. By the will of God, adhere to my words. So we need to have that in mind as we read the book of Colossians. And Colossians, that, that town is in present-day Turkey. And let's see what, let's review what Brandon has told us two weeks ago. And beginning right here in verse um, 9, it, it says, that we'd be filled with the knowledge of his, of his will. And what that word knowledge, if you look at the word he shared, that the, the, the meaning, it was the word in Greek, epignosis. And it means an accurate, precise truth. So you can see how they were getting wayward. And he says, no, I want you an accurate, precise truth. We just had on there this, this people group in Colombia, and it said, pray for an accurate teaching of God's word, just not the God, God's word to be preached. And then he talked, he asked, Brandon asked a question two weeks ago, can we be sincere and be wrong? And the answer is absolutely yes. Mormons, Hindus, there's lots of people who are insincere in what they believe, but they're deadly wrong. And they also had this word peripateo. It means walk. In verse 13, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It means to walk upright, walk with confidence. It implied, Brandon shared us with this, implying not sitting down. I would say it's implied also that we're not detouring, that we're intentional and directional on where we're going and where we're headed with purpose. He stood about right here on the stage and almost jumped up and down and pleaded with you and challenged you. Someone share with me, anybody, can anybody find anyone in the New Testament who's, who's done life alone? And you can't. And that's why he wants, that's why our church leadership has the, the things like journey groups so you don't get wayward like this church in Colossae, you have people in your life to hold you accountable. And I can tell you personally in my own life, when I've done life alone, when I didn't have men to speak into my life is when I probably were in the valleys of my life. So it's critical that we walk with an accurate knowledge, this epignosis knowledge, that we walk upright, this peripateo with intention and purpose. That was kind of a recap of the first week as we walked through verses 9 and 10. And then last week, Brandon preached, preached again and Cody on the Edgewood campus, and we, and we went through verses 11 and 12. And that's when we're strengthened with all power. Brandon shared this, this, this dunamis power. This is the Greek word dunamis. It's like dynamite. It's dynamic power. And I would dare say if the atomic bomb had been created prior to the writing of this book, that they would have said atomic power, this, this out-of-this-world power that God possesses, that we could be strengthened by that. And then he talked about, they talked about endurance, this hupomone, the Greek word hupomone, which is this patient endurance, but yet it's not easily swayed. And they talked about Job. And if you don't know the story of Job in the Old Testament, Job lost his, all of his children. He lost his job. He, had, he basically lost his health. But yet he said in Job 121, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So this hupomone endurance, 
is what Paul is writing to. And then, then and just know verse 9, 10, 11 is just ongoing work. It's work that we're, we're still going through, you and I. But once we've been transformed, once we've been converted out of this world into the marvelous light, which is verses 12, 13, and 14. And they touched on verse 12 last week. And it says, we have, who we've been qualified. We were once children of disobedience, and now we've become a holy people who can share in the inheritance of the saints. That's basically a recap of the last two weeks. And we're going to finish up this, this verses, verses 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14, in Colossians 1, this prayer that we have for the church. But before we jump into the new stuff, I want just to model kind of what this prayer would look like. And I have a daughter sitting over here, and I'm just going to pray this over my, over my daughter Hannah. And you can show the verses on the screen as I go through it. Verse 9 would be, Lord, I pray you'd fill Hannah with the knowledge of your will through spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I'd go to verse 10, and I'd go, Lord, I pray that she would walk in a manner worthy of you, that she would be good in all things, that she would please you in all that she does, that she would bear fruit in all that she does, and she'd grow in her knowledge in you. Then I'd pray verse 11 over her that she would have the endurance and the patience to endure the things that's going to strike her in this life, that she can live it to the end. And then verse 12 is, is basically for those who have been qualified in Christ. Lord, I joyfully give you thanks that you've, I can share the inheritance with your saints, and I can pray it over my daughter. I joyfully give you thanks that you've called her as one of your own. That's the prayer we have for you as a church. Does that, does that you kind of follow me? And today we're just going to dive into verses 13. I'm going to kind of stay in this area on 13. We go to verse 14, I'm going to kind of come over here because I can't sit still, all right? So let's, let's look at verse 13. It says, For he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Ruamai, this Greek word for delivered, ruamai. It's, been, it's used 15 times if you're a nerd guy like me, 15 times in the New Testament. This ruamai. And the first time that I'm going to share with you that it's used is the words of Christ alone. It's in Matthew 6, verse 13. It's the last verse of the Lord's Prayer that you're so familiar with. And lead us into not temptation, but deliver us from evil. Ruhamai us from evil. Rescue us. Draw us to yourself. Deliver us from evil is what it's saying. I'm going to come back to Colossians 1 in just a minute. But I'm, because we touched on the Lord's Prayer, I just want to share the Lord's Prayer with you for a second. Just a little sidebar, like a little commercial. All right? So... I know I coached for a long time, and before every contest, we're in the, we're in the locker room before we go out of the field, and somebody's on knee, and we're being led in the Lord's Prayer, and we just fly through it. But we've we got a lot of kids. I've had a lot of athletes that don't know what it means, but it's basically, and this will not be on the screen for you, but our Father who art in heaven, hallowed to be thy name. Your will be done your, on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But our Father in heaven, hallowed to be your name. It basically says, our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Reveal yourself to me so I might know you. That's, that's what that's saying. And it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's basically saying, God, set this world right. It's right in heaven. Set it right here on, the, on earth. And then it goes on. Verse 11 says, give us today our daily bread. Y'all are familiar with that. And basically, while well, it's saying, Lord, keep me alive with three square meals. And I'm not like this people group. I, I was born and raised in America. And I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. So I, I would pray a prayer for myself is, Lord, thank you that I have shelter and food at my ready, that I am not without. That's the heart behind that. And then the second to the last verse of this Lord's Prayer is verse 12, and it says, and keep us, excuse me, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's probably uttered your lips for. Some say, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those, uh, the debts against us. And there's a guy named General Orgothope. 
You may have heard him. He said once to John Wesley, put his foot down and said, I will never forgive. I will never, I will never forgive and I will never forget. And John Wesley said to him then, sir, then I hope you never sin. Because some of us can have an unforgiving spirit, an unforgiving heart towards somebody or, or something that's been done to us. And God have mercy on us when we're like that because God forgives us of all things, yet we hold things to another. So I would challenge you in that. And then this verse that we just touched on, the last verse of the Lord's Prayer, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some verses, some translations will say the evil one, the devil, Satan, because he's real and he's formidable. And we need to be ready to, to battle against him. All right, commercial's over. Now we're coming back to, first, to Colossians 1. We're in verse 13. And a couple other examples of how delivered was used is 2 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 10 says, He delivered us from a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have our hope that he will deliver us again. This Rohomai. And 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 10 says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us, Rohamai us, from the wrath to come. This, this rescue, this sense of rescue. Next kind of jump word that jumps out in verse 13 is this word domain. Some translations call it dominion. It's this word in the Greek called exosia. And it's, it's this sense of government, the sense of rule, the sense of jurisdiction, if you will, the sense of you have a choice to live in this sense of rule and jurisdiction. And a couple of verses that would, that would have this domain this, of darkness, and this darkness is skatos, which would be this ignorance of this immorality. For he has delivered us from this domain of darkness, this, this exosia, and transferred us in the kingdom of his son is, is John 3.19. John 3, 19, the words of Jesus Christ says, and this is the judgment. The light has come in the world that people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. They love the ungodliness rather than the light. And I'm going to go a little fast here as I fly through some verses of darkness because we need to realize that our opponent is real and formidable and we need to understand darkness. Mark 15, 13 says, and the sixth hour has come where there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. For three hours it was dark in broad daylight. This is obviously at the crucifixion of Jesus, his final three hours of breath on this life before he was resurrected. There's this night darkness that came across, this ignorance of divine things, this ignorance of something so holy and precious and priceless, this darkness. Acts 26 and 18 would say, open their eyes so that they may turn from this darkness, turn from this blindness to light and from the power of, of Satan to God from Satan to God, that they may be receive forgiveness from sins and a place among them who are sanctified in me. Romans 13, 12 would say, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness, cast off this immorality, this ungodliness and put on the armor of light. Ephesians 5, 8 would say, for at one time you were darkness. At one time you and I were darkness. We were blind, we were ungodly, but now you are the light of the world. Walk then as children of light. Ephesians 5.11 would say, take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead oppose them. Take no part in unfruitful works of ignorance, respecting divine things. Take no part of unfruitful works of ungodliness. I, I saw a movie years ago, and I don't remember the movie, so I can't give you the reference, but it says, this quote is, evil flourishes when good men do nothing. And, and Paul is basically telling us that 
We need to, need to oppose evil and evil men. Ephesians 6.12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is immorality. 1 Peter 2.9 would tell you, that, but you are a chosen race, a, pro, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of this blindness into his marvelous light. And the last verse I'll share with you on, on darkness is, if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we walk in this blindness and ungodliness, then we lie and we do not practice the truth. And friends, let me tell you that darkness is real and darkness is subtle and it can lure you to sleep. Darkness can hide its concealment. You don't even realize it's present. Present. Darkness can afflict a man, and it could cause him to be depressed. As darkness grows in someone's life, it could even maybe fascinate another. And when darkness can become really dangerous, when it emboldens a few. But we need to be mindful of darkness in our life. There's a quote by Charles Spurgeon that we're going to put on the screen. It says, Beloved, we are still tempted by Satan. We are not under his power, but we have to fight him. We almost realize I'm sitting down and this happens. I mean, get up. Are you talking to me? And come at Satan, and we have to be able to fight him. If we may do that in our flesh. We need to be able to understand that in spiritual warfare. He goes on to say, he is not our king. He has no rights over us. We do not obey him. We will not listen to his temptations. Who's going to watch the Cowboys today? Anybody? Like I told you, I coached football for 30 years. And let's just use an analogy. The Cowboys are God's people, and the 49ers who they're going to play today are, are, the, are the adversary. They're the, they're, Satan is demonic. So let's, let's just game plan, okay? So and just talk about us as defense. Satan's going to try to attack you, so the 49ers are going to try to attack the Cowboys. So I promise you, if, as we study this, we are going to understand everything we can about our formidable opponent, the 49ers. I'm going to know their formations. I'm going to know their tendencies. I'm going to know their favorite run plays. I'm going to know their favorite pass plays. I'm going to know their blocking schemes. I'm going to know if they slide protect, if they have their running back that comes in free releases or check releases. I'm going to understand lots of things that maybe you and I don't even understand because we only know in part, but I'm going to know the best I can about how they're going to try to attack me, to penetrate my soul, to penetrate our defense, go down the field. I've got to be aware of my opponent. So much so that I'm going to understand, I'm going to know the personnel. So if number 19, let's say, I don't know if 49ers number, but number 19, let's say last year he was a sophomore and he was a second-team all-district player, but later he played basketball. He's a first-team all-district basketball player. Maybe he ran a 12-2 in the 100 in the spring and he long-jumped 20 feet. I'm going to know all of that about number 19 because he's a formidable, someone who could penetrate and attack and cause me injury. I may have to double cover him. I may have to press, press cover him. I may have to do something to get him off track. Does that make sense? But we've got to be aware of our opponent. And I promise you, Satan and his opponent is, Satan is our opponent, and he is a formidable one. Going back to verse 13, he has delivered us from this domain of darkness, this exosia of darkness, and transferred us. This word transferred is only used five times, only five times in the New Testament. And that's this word, mephistate, mephistomy, mephistomy. I'm probably saying it wrong, but mephistomy. And it's basically a change of, of this change of situation, it's literally like to depart from this life and to die. It's not just I'm moving seats. It's not being my job's relocating me from Dallas to Houston. It's this methistome, this, this, we've translated it into transferred. 
And to give you an example in the New Testament, uh, verses 1 Corinthians 13, 2 says, this is the love chapter, and if I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith as to move, remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. What this methistome, this move, is like taking a beautiful mountain in the Rocky Mountains and sticking it here in East Texas. This methistome, this move, this enormous move. In 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, who was king of Babylon, conquered Judea. And in that conquest, they took Daniel. You may know the story and others. And they, they relocated Daniel in any possessions that those survivors had, and they put them in Babylon. And that was the way. The conquered people had to move to conquer land. And, but Paul's basically saying this, that we've been conveyed into God's kingdom. Basically, now that we've been conveyed, in, conveyed into God's kingdom, everything that we have and everything that we are belongs to him. This verb that we translated into transferred probably means that we've been methistome from the domain of darkness, this exosia of darkness, into this methistome that's transferred into the marvelous light. It's, it's, it's a significant change. And then verse 13 also talks about this kingdom. You need to know this kingdom is, is not of this world. It's, in Hebrews 12, it says this kingdom cannot be shaken. John 3, 3, the words of Christ alone says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you've been born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. This unshakable kingdom, this rule of Jesus. And then we'll jump to verse 14. The last two words I'm going to jump out at you is verse 14 says, In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's look at redemption. Apollotrosis. Apollotrosis is this Greek word for redemption. And redemption is this idea, idea of this legal ransom. This, if, if we plead the blood of Jesus over something, it has significance in spiritual warfare because we can, can plead this blood of Jesus because it is our ransom. It's like a receipt of this lawful purchase of redeemed people. Romans 3, 12, 24 would also use this word, apopolotrosis, this Greek word for redemption, and are justified by the grace of, of a, by His grace as a gift through the redemption, through this payment of ransom that is Christ Jesus. First Corinthians 1.30 would say, And because of Him, you are Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and this liberation, this redemption. Ephesians 1.7 says, In Him we have redemption. We have this payment of ransom for the forgiveness of sins according to His riches and glory. I'm going to tell you a story about it. this little boy. He built this boat. And before he built this boat, he, he was very intentional. He, he knew what he wanted to make. He knew he wanted to craft this boat. He knew the intricacies and the details. And he, he envisioned this boat and all it could do and all it be, could become. And so he crafted this boat together. And when finally, when the boat was done, he, took, he went to the little riverbank and he, he put it out in the water and kind of held it on a string and started doing his thing. And next thing you know, a big gust of wind came and the string broke. And this, and this boy, he's running up down the riverbank trying to get to his boat. He's, he's trying to no avail. And as the hours went by, the boat went further and further away out of sight. And he was heartbroken because the boat that he so intricately built and made with purpose is now gone. And for days, he went to the riverbank hoping the direction the wind would change and he'd find the boat back. But to no avail, he couldn't find his boat that was so precious to him. A couple of weeks, it went by and he was with a friend 
And the friend's dad had pigs and horses and they needed some wood shavings for their stalls. So they jumped in the truck and they went down to the store, this mill area. And sure enough, somebody cleaned out the riverbed where there was a beaver dam and this had sticks and this boat was there. And this little boy goes, that's my boat, that's my boat. The guy, the guy basically said, if you want that boat, son, I'm going to have to turn the machine off and you're going to at least have to pay a dollar for me to turn the machine off. So the little boy, he reached in his pocket. He only had this one and only dollar that he had. He pulled it out and he gave it to the man. And he got his boat back and he's in the car. They're driving off their wood shavings. He's holding the little boat close to him and he's precious. And he said, you're twice mine. For once I made you and then I bought you. And that's what redemption is. And the last word I want to talk about is forgiveness. It says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. This forgiveness is this release from bondage, this release from imprisonment, this as if it never happened is what this forgiveness of sins is. It literally means ascending away. There's no barrier now between God and, and me, God and you, because of this pardon that he has given us. Words of Jesus in Matthew 26, 28 says, for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, the forgiveness of sins, this release of imprisonment from sin. Luke 3, 3 would say, and he went into all the region and all around Jordan proclaiming the gospel, repenting the pardon of sins. So we've talked about over the two weeks ago, last week and this week, verses 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14 of this first chapter of Colossians. And I ask, why did Paul write this? I think he wrote it for maybe three reasons. That we would have a correct understanding because that's foundational to correct behavior. I also think that he wrote it that we would be able to glorify God in our conduct. And I also think Paul wrote this to this wayward church, this new church of Colossae who had gotten wayward so that they remind them that understanding True understanding must come through the working of God's Spirit within us. I think that's why he wrote that. And can I, can I give you three quick warnings? I started this thing off this morning talking about a colleague who went by the bakery and he manipulated a prayer to get what he wanted. And sometimes I've been guilty of that. Maybe you have too. They said, I want my will to be done. Your will be put aside. And it's, that's so wrong. We, man, we manipulate things to get what we want. And that's not the way to pray. Second warning I'd have for you is we don't pray in order to escape life, but in order to meet life head on. We don't want to, we don't want to pray in, 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 in a withdrawal state. We want to be able to live a life of men and, and meet it head on. I saw a, a student at Wills Point High School two weeks ago. Had this shirt on, this t-shirt. that said, I used to be a people person. And then people ruined it. And I just see what, what a travesty that we would withdraw because people harm us. And the last warning I'd, I'd have for you would be some of us, some of us Christians, we, sometimes we become intoxicated with these deeper truths of the Bible. We may get, hear a sermon series, maybe like this one, or we get a book in our hands, and we, before long we get so smart we become dumb. We sometimes we look at these practical, these deeper truths, excuse me, of, of these practical living, but it, but instead we should be having a burning desire for devotion to Christ. That's Matthew 24, 32. And sometimes we get big heads and we start having problems, creating problems that we initiated, maybe unintentionally, but we cause problems at work. We cause problems with our spouse and children at home. We cause problems at churches. 
because we think we know too much. We lose her humility. Friends, please know that Bible truths are practical. They're not theoretical. And as we grow in our knowledge, we should also be growing in our grace. 2 Peter 3, 18. And I close with this one, this one analogy. because This is a beautiful passage. It, it paints a beautiful picture of Christian growth for every believer, for you and I. And Paul alluded to this. We could be a, a wheat stalk or we could be a fruit tree. A wheat stalk will grow and it'll produce wheat and it's cut off and that's the end of it. Wheat stalks is there. It's basically good for nothing. And my understanding that farmers would take that and maybe use it for bedding and for animals. But it has no other purpose. We're not to be wheat stalks in this world. We're to be, we're to be fruit bearers. A fruit tree will obviously bear fruit and animals can eat it. Humans can eat it. And seeds might be falling on the ground. And when the seeds hit the soil, they germinate. And the life cycle of a fruit tree starts over again. We're to bear fruit. And what rain and sunshine are to the nurture of plants, so is knowledge and the growth in God, how it nurtures our spiritual life. Each, each year has passed in my life. I know two years ago was 2020. This time last year, we just celebrated the new year, 21, and now we're in 22. And I ask you and I ask myself, have we grown in the knowledge of Christ do we bear more fruit today than we did yesterday? Do we bear more fruit in 2020 than we do now in 2022? If so, we're like a stalk of wheat. We did our purpose and now we're just there. God's called us to be fruit bearers. As the band comes up, let me pray these verses over you, church, over you, friends, that we might be all that God's called us to be. Pray with me, please. As I pray this, I want you to pray it for yourself, please. Lord, I thank you for, uh, Lord, for today. I thank you that, that we can just grow in the knowledge of your will. Pray for my friends that they would grow in the knowledge of your will through spiritual wisdom and understanding. Also pray, Lord, they would walk in a manner worthy of you, that you'd be fully pleasing to them, that they'd bear fruit in all things. Lord, I pray for my friends that they would be about your business. I pray that you give them strength and, and this dunamis power to meet life head on and this endurance to see it to the end. And I pray, Lord, for those who have you've called, that we thank you with joy that you've qualified us to receive your inheritance. We thank you for that, Lord. And we just lift up you, Jesus, for all you've done for us, this redemption, this ransom that you've paid by your precious blood, and this pardon you've given us for the forgiveness of our sins. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.